Welcome back everybody. This is Seed Wars number 11. And today we're going to look at an interesting concept known as the love apple. In the last lecture, we were talking about the Song of Solomon and we referred the mandrake plant. And the mandrake plant is a very interesting plant. We see it mentioned several times in the Bible. And Today we're going to unpack that a little bit further because the other name for the mandrake is the love apple. Turns out that it produces an apple that is an aphrodisiac, and we'll look at that as we go forward. Also of interest, in some areas it's referred to as the devil's apple. And I think as the lectures go on, you'll be able to see why it is that they call it that. Now... If you've made it this far, then you already understand my presupposition. The theory that we're espousing is that something deeper took place in the garden than just eating literal fruit. I believe that it's possible that it was of a sexual nature, that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was could possibly be the revelation of sexual knowledge to make Eve wise. And so... I realize that for most people, that is a very appalling thought. And that, that is very countercultural to what we've been told and what we've learned throughout our life. But nonetheless, that's where the evidence points. And so we have to remember what Albert Einstein said Condemnation before investigation is the greatest form of ignorance. What does that mean? It means that. We should not condemn something until we've looked at the material, irrespective of how far out there it may seem. And so I believe that this will be an interesting lecture that may cast a different light on the garden event. Now understand, I wasn't there. And I've yet to meet anybody on the planet who was in the garden. And we don't exactly have a lot of material regarding that event. We've got the biblical account, which is fairly vague, and we have a couple of non-biblical sources that also are of some value, but have to be looked at with significant scrutiny. And so we're talking about something that's very gray. This is not a black or white issue. The Garden of Eden is a very gray issue, and there's a lot of room for speculation. And so it's important that we take our time and really try and investigate thoroughly and put together a cohesive and logical theory. Now, today's theory is based on the fact that, as I've said in the past, I think there is some figurative meaning to the tree of life and the tree of good and evil. But also, I believe that there's a literal component. We know Adam and Eve were literal. We know there was a literal garden. And so it stands to reason that there was a literal tree and quite possibly a literal apple. And what this lecture would suggest is that the apple was the doorway. It was the vehicle by which Eve would then be seduced into having sexual relations with a Nakash. And I know that sounds fairly insane to consider, but nonetheless, 
as you'll see as the lectures go forward, that's what some of the evidence suggests. And understand this, even the uh, Apostle Paul said in the New Testament, be careful who you entertain, because by entertaining strangers, you may actually be entertaining angels. What does he mean by that? He's suggesting that you may be talking to a random person in your life, but it could be an angel. In other words, angels can uh, metamorphosize, shapeshift, and take on human form. And so we have to consider that possibility. That's what the Bible suggests. And um, we're going to look at that more as the lectures unfold. And so for now, we're going to proceed forward with uh, part 11, the love apple. So it turns out that the Bible has an interesting story in Genesis 30 about Jacob and his two wives, the sisters, Leah and Rachel. And both of them are barren. They both desperately need children. And one of Leah's children, Reuben, goes out to find the mandrake plant. Now, the mandrake, according to ancient history, has always been known as an aphrodisiac. Now, that means that it gives someone the desire to have sexual activity. It comes from the word Aphrodite, the goddess of love in, in Greek mythology. So an aphrodisiac is a food or a beverage or something that a person eats that gets them in the mood, so to speak. The other interesting thing about the mandrake plant is that it's always been said to increase the virility of the man and the woman. By that, you know, increase sperm count, increase egg ovulation, etc. So that it enhances the process of conception and childbirth. And this is exactly why we see it displayed in Genesis 30, because uh, we see that uh, after Leah and Rachel eat the mandrake, they're able to get pregnant shortly thereafter. Now, we also see the mandrake being mentioned in the Song of Solomon. And it's during the account where they're talking about the pomegranates and all of the different terminology that they use that is highly suggestive of fertility back in that time. And so twice we see it used in the Bible. Both times it's referencing having children. And so what we have to understand is that this may not just be a frivolous detail that the scripture has included. See, nothing in the Bible is there by accident. What may appear to be a non-important detail, often later you'll find there's some important symbolism involved. And I believe that's the case with the mandrake. Now, the mandrake is referred to as love apple. And I think that's pertinent because mythology has always been that Adam and Eve were in the garden and they ate from the tree of knowledge and that it was a apple. Well, as it turns out, the mandrake is called the love apple. If you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, the definition is a love apple. Now, it's also called a may apple. And that's because it begins to bloom its fruit in the early spring and from there it goes on to develop over the summer so may is about the time of the year that we see this happen and then lastly 
Some ancient cultures refer to it as the devil's apple. And that's interesting. And you're going to see why here shortly, because we're going to find that this root has been used with witchcraft, the occult, and, uh, and many other things going back for millennia. And so it has some notoriety of being the devil's apple. Now, I believe that it may be called the devil's apple simply because it goes all the way back to the garden. And the devil used this apple to manipulate and beguile Eve. And as the lecture goes on, we'll try to unpack that moving forward. Now, what makes this plant interesting is it has a lot of qualities that are different than most plants. First of all, it can get fairly large. This is the root that's underneath the ground. The plant itself kind of resembles a marijuana plant. When you look at it in person, it gets to be a fairly large bush. Now, in the Bible, uh, the tree is called, in the Hebrew, that's etz. And that's a vague word. It can be a large bush, a shrub, a tree. It doesn't have to be a cedar tree, for example, or a oak tree. It can be a smaller type tree that produces fruit. And that's exactly what the mandrake is. They do get fairly large and they produce male and female fruit. It's called the mandragorius moss and the mandragorius femina, the male and female fruit. And the male fruit looks like a traditional apple and the female fruit looks like a pear. And this is pertinent because this is where the understanding of men and women as they get older looking like apples and pears. Men get more bigger bellies on them and they look more like an apple. Women have been known to get larger hips and they look more like a pear. This concept comes from the mandrake plant. The other thing you'll find about the mandrake is, is that the root of the plant that's underneath the ground takes on a human form. See, the root resembles the human body. And in fact, as we will move forward, we'll see that this has been used for voodoo dolls and a lot of other witchcraft. Here in this image, you can kind of see it's got arms and legs, and also it has hair on it. And so the mandrake plant has always been known as a plant that produces small human-looking roots. That will become relevant as we proceed forward. Now, the mandrake derives from the genus mandragora. Notice the word genus, like Genesis. It has the word gene in it. That's the genus and species of plant, meaning that there's a specific genetics there. That's the DNA of the plant, mandragora. We're going to look at the origin of the mandragora here in a moment because it's quite fascinating. These are predominantly found in the Mediterranean region and all throughout the Middle East. And as I mentioned before, these roots resemble human figures, and as a consequence, they've been used for superstitious practices going all throughout history. And for this reason, they've been used in magic rituals, paganism, and Wicca all throughout the Dark Ages. As it turns out, they contain hallucinogenic alkaloids, which we'll look at in a moment. Mind-altering drugs that put people in a hypnotic trance state. Now, the ancient Jewish uh, rabbi Josephus, the historian, he documents some legendary folklore about the mandragora plant. And this is what he says, according to legend, when the root is dug up, the root screams when you pull it out of the ground and you kill it. And he says that to prevent 
and, and it turns out that when you pull the root out, it'll kill you as well. And so the solution back in those days was, as Josephus says, to dig a furrow around the plant until you expose the root. Then you tie a rope around it and you tie the other end to a dog. And then when you run away and you whistle for the dog, the dog will come running after you. And when he does, he's going to rip the root out of the ground and kill it. And the root's going to kill the dog. And after this, then the person can handle the root without fear. So for Josephus to include this in his writings just demonstrates how popular this notion was. And if you go back and you look throughout history, you'll find many ancient texts that show depictions of this exact thing. Here we see an image down here in the bottom left. Notice that it looks like a marijuana plant. And notice that underneath the ground is the root. And what does it look like? A little human being with a head and a mouth and a body. Also notice that it gets fairly large and then it produces fruit. These are the love apples that if someone picks and eats, will have an, a hallucinatory effect on them. We'll review that going forward in a moment. We see how the man is looking like he's getting ready to run off and the dog is distracted by eating food. And once he whistles for the dog, it's going to rip the plant out of the ground, killing the plant and killing the dog. We can see evidence of this over to the right. Here again, we see the dog. We see what looks like human beings underneath the ground. Same thing here. The plant looks like a normal plant, but underneath the ground, it looks like a human being, and the dog is going to rip it out. So you can see there's a lot of ancient folklore about this plant, and there's a lot of mystical concepts regarding human beings and the shape of a person. Now, this is where things start getting interesting. If you've noticed, we've been talking about the mandrake plant. It's genus and species of mandragora. Notice in that word we see mandragon. In fact, if you go to some of the more older medieval times, you see the word is hyphenated, like here on the right, mandragora. Turns out that that word derives from the concept of a mandragon. In fact, there are ancient legends that go back thousands of years that describe these mandragons. See, all of these serpentine-looking creatures back then were referred to as serpents or dragons. And there are some ancient legends that describe mandragons who would go and use the herbs and roots from certain trees and plants in order to operate control over human beings and turn them into slaves, if you will. And this also includes manipulating the women with these potions and spells. And as a consequence of these mandragons using these herbs, the name of the plant over time became mandrake or mandragora. And we'll continue to look at that word more closely in a moment. Now, that's a fascinating detail, in my opinion, because we have a very similar story in the Bible. See, we're told in the Bible that a serpent entered into the garden. And that word is nakash. And the word nakash means 
a diviner or a soothsayer or an enchanter. Now, most people don't know what an enchanter is, but an enchanter is someone who uses herbs and roots to create a potion or a spell. Or they're an encharmer, someone who uses an amulet or a charm of some kind, and it has control over the person that's, that's using it. And in doing so, we know that the nakash beguiled Eve. Now, the word nakash also means to whisper in someone's ear. It sounds like a hissing sound when you whisper. And in doing so, you put a spell on someone. So that's a very relevant detail. That's what the serpent in the garden did. Now we're finding that there is a plant by the name of mandrake, which actually derives its name from ancient legends of humanoid, reptilian, mandragon entities who were on the planet thousands of years ago, and they're using their knowledge and prowess of trees and roots and herbs to control and manipulate humanity. And so hopefully you're able to see the parallels that I'm drawing there. At some point in the lectures, I'd like to go back into antiquity and look at some of the legendary lore of the different serpent people that existed thousands of years ago. But when we look at the different Egyptian and Babylonian uh, writings and some of their um, drawings, we see these reptilian beings. I mean, this is obviously a hybridized looking creature that has human qualities, legs and arms and fingers, and but yet we can clearly tell that it has a reptilian head and a, and a, a serpentine looking face. And somebody made this sculpture thousands of years ago for a reason. Now, we can pretend that it was just a figment of their imagination, or we can take the legends as reality that at this point on the planet, there were serpent man-type creatures roaming the planet. We see this over here as well in Egyptian iconography. Here we have the head of a serpent on the body of a man with feet and legs and knees. And so these, according to the, the legend, are called mandragons. A dragon was another name for a serpent or a reptilian creature, but he walked and talked and looked like a man. This is where the mandragorous plant received its name, because legend has it that these entities use the roots to hypnotize the human beings. So now if we take the word mandrake and we look at the original etymology of the word, if you just take a regular dictionary and you look up the word drake, did you know that the word drake actually means dragon? In fact, in Old English, they used to call dragonflies drakeflies. And one of the definitions listed in the Webster's Dictionary is an archaic dragon. Now that's an important detail because in Revelation 12, in the Bible, we're told about this old dragon, this old serpent named Satan. And that's clearly the same serpent that entered into the garden. 
And when you look in the Greek at the word old in Revelation 12, the old dragon, the word is archaos. And so that word archaos means something that happened long ago at the beginning of time. It's referencing an event that took place before the flood. And so I find it interesting that here in the dictionary, they actually use archaic dragon as the definition of a drake. And to continue that thought on even more, many of us have heard of Dracula, the vampire. Now, Dracula comes from Vlad the Impaler, a Romanian king, who I believe is one of the bloodlines of the Illuminati. We're going to do a, a lecture on Vlad at a later time. But Vlad's name was Vlad III Dracula. And the name Dracula means the son of Dracul. And in the Romanian language, Dracul translates as the devil. And it comes from Drake, which means the devil. And we see that even in the Latin language, Drake translates as Draco, which means dragon, and has always been associated with Satan. So we see right there in the word mandrake that the word drake means dragon, it means devil, and it's associated with Satan. And even if you go into the Old English that was used in the 1200s, Draco meant a huge serpent or a mythological winged fire-breathing reptile. So as you can see, the word mandrake clearly connects us to a mandragon or a serpent-like being. And in fact, the word is actually translated to mean the devil or Satan. So it becomes evident that we're talking about Satan. Satan is the original mandragon that would beguile Eve using the mandrake plant, the love apple, the devil's apple. Now to make it even more interesting, you can look at some older books like this one here on the right. Talks about rare occult herbs such as the mandrake. And you find that the mandrake corresponds with the planet Saturn. Now that's very interesting because in the Days of Noah series, we did multiple lectures looking at Saturn. Turns out that Saturn worship was the predominant worship that goes back to all of the ancient mystery religions, even back as far as Babylon. We know that Aleister Crowley started the Brotherhood of Saturn. We know that the Hebrews, when Moses was going on up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, that his brother Aaron created a golden calf. And later in the book of Amos, we're told that they were worshiping the star of Rimphan during that specific account in Sinai. And the star of Rimphan has to do with Saturn worship. And if you study Saturn worship closely, you find that that is directly related to Satan. We even did a video showing how CERN will be used to open up the bottomless pit. And specifically, the witchcraft is pointed towards opening up the eye of Saturn. 
So we see a lot of very unusual occult connections with this mandrake plant. And in this book, it talks about how the mandrake is used as a medicine and a potion for all kinds of things, protection and magical power, that it's used, it was used as a charm and as a talisman for power and love and fertility and dark moon magic. And so all of that will continue to be relevant as we continue forward. So it turns out that the mandrake is the origin of the concept of voodoo dolls. You can see down here in the bottom left, this is a mandrake amulet that was made in the past in Germany. And when you pull these roots out and you tweak them a little bit, they take on a fairly accurate portrayal of a human being. And over time, this mandrake root was used to make amulets and charms. A charm is something that you give someone, a lucky charm, like a rabbit's foot or something. The other name we use for a charm is in the occult world is called a talisman. And talismans connect you to the demonic realm. Now, the word enchantment is used two times in the Bible, and it's an important word. It's to put a spell on somebody by giving them some kind of charm or amulet. We see it mentioned in Deuteronomy 18. There shall not be found among you anyone that makes his son or daughter pass through the fire as child sacrifice, or they that use divination or an observer of times, that's astrology, or an enchanter or a witch. It's basically the same thing. An enchanter is a witch or a charmer or someone who consults familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. These are all basically synonyms for each other. An enchanter is also a charmer, someone who gives you a charm or an enchantment. And they are a witch, a wizard, and a necromancer. They use divination and sorcery. Now what's important is this word enchanter. The word enchanter is Strong's 5173, and lo and behold, it is the word Nakash. That's right. It's the same word as the entity that went into the garden. The entity that went into the garden is Strong's 5172, Nakash. And the word enchantment is a direct derivative from that word. It's H5173. It's the same word, Nakash. So what does that mean? Well, the definition of it is someone who places an incantation or a spell over you by using charms and enchantments. And so what this demonstrates is that the Nakash didn't just speak some eloquent words into Eve's ear but he also used some type of enchantment or charm as witchcraft to place a spell on her. Now, one of the other meanings of, of this en word enchantment is augury or augury, depending on how you want to enunciate it. Now, typically, augury is a type of divination using birds in the sky. But its actual origin has to do with digging in the ground. 
like using an auger. An auger, A-U-G-U-R. An auger is something that you would dig into the earth with, like this tractor over here. That's an auger. Why is that important? Because using algery as a source of witchcraft implies digging up roots and herbs and using them to make a spell or a potion or an enchantment so that you can place someone in a hypnotic state. And that's exactly what I believe the Nakash did. So what we find is that the mandrake has been used all throughout history in witchcraft. And since it was shaped like a human body, they believed that they could exercise control over the body. It was used to make powerful potions, spells, and amulets. And it turns out that it was also used to drug somebody very similar to the date rape drug known as Rohypnol. And most people have heard of Rohypnol. The street name for that is Rufies. And like the Mandrake, Rufies are known for their effects of disassociation and automatism. And this is exactly how they describe the Mandrake plant. People who would eat or drink these spells that have the Mandrake apples and the roots put in it were known to undergo a disassociative state. In other words, they've been put into an altered mental state, a trance state. See, that's what automatism means. Automatism means that you're just on autopilot. You're not really thinking, you're not self-aware, but you're in this hypnotic trance. And people have described everything from feeling woozy and hungover to confused and sluggish after drinking anything with the mandrake in it. It's also known to cause amnesia. In other words, like a blackout. You don't really recall everything that transpired. And so, basically, the mandrake is a sedative hypnotic, very similar to Valium and its derivatives. And we also know that it was an aphrodisiac and fertility drug. It got people in the mood for lovemaking. That's why you'll see many renditions of it, like this one here, where it shows the roots in all of these sexual positions. This was basically the date rate drug of ancient history. That legend has it that the man dragons used to seduce women. Now, over here, we have an old book that has different potions written in it, a witchcraft book. And we see here at the top, it's called a love potion. And you'll notice that it includes several measures of wormwood. Now, that's important because today we refer to that as absinthe. That's a powerful psychotropic drug that comes from a plant. Aleister Crowley was obsessed with absinthe. Uh, several hundred years ago, they were indulging in absinthe so much that they actually coined the term absinthism, similar to alcoholism. And in fact, absinthe was made illegal in the United States for almost 100 years because too many people were becoming addicted to it. Now, it's very similar to the mandrake plant. In this particular love potion, 
they use wormwood, a small measure of dragon blood. You may ask yourself, where on earth would you get dragon blood? And it's possible that they use snakes or reptilian uh, species on the planet. Or perhaps this serpent seed line, these mandragons, this reptilian seed line, would cut themselves and, and place their own blood into the concoction. It's difficult to say. Also, you notice that you have to include mandrake as one of the ingredients. And anybody who drinks this potion is going to be put into an altered mental state. Notice down here the concoction shows an image with a dragon on the front. And so this was one of the ancient dragon love potions. See how they've included the two hearts? How these two hearts overlap? In other words, when the person, the practitioner of witchcraft, creates this potion and they get someone to drink it, the person's going to undergo a disassociative state and they're going to have amnesia. They're not going to remember anything. And then you can take advantage of them sexually. So we're coming to the end of the presentation and the next couple of lectures are going to continue to unpack deeper and deeper symbolism regarding the mandrake plant. But I think that it's an interesting theory. There's a lot of different data points that point to this being a strong possibility that this is what the mandragon used in the garden. Understand that when we use the word mandragon, that's just another way of saying a serpent being. And that's what the Bible says. It says that a serpent being came into the garden. And that serpent being was the Nakash, which means a diviner and a soothsayer and an enchanter, one who puts a spell on someone by whispering in their ear. And so are we dealing with some kind of reptilian serpentine being, which is exactly what seraphim fallen angels are? That's why in Revelation 12, it says that Satan is that old dragon, the serpent from old. And so Satan was the original dragon reptilian being. And I think this depiction is, is fairly accurate. We see the serpent being with his right hand touching Eve's shoulder, and he's pointing to the apple. He knows that if he can get her to indulge in that apple, the love apple, or better put, the devil's apple, that just maybe she'll enter into a transcendental state where she's no longer in her right mind. And then he can take, he can be opportunistic and take advantage of her for nefarious reasons. And you say, well, why would he do that? And the answer is, is because he wants to corrupt God's image. He's seeking revenge towards God Almighty for being cast out. And since Adam and Eve were given dominion over planet Earth, Satan wants to usurp that. And he wants to be worshipped like a god. And the best way for him to be worshipped like a god is to infect the Adamites, the, the, the seed of Adam. If he could infect the human genome, the DNA, then he could contaminate the whole system. And this brings us to the future mark of the beast. 
the mark of the beast is likely going to be a genetic modification that will make you no longer in the image of God. That means that you'll no longer be made in the likeness of Adam and Eve. You'll no longer be of the Adamic race. And so, since Genesis and Revelations are so vastly woven together, if the end of the book wants to do genetic manipulation, then you can guarantee that the beginning of the book was about genetic manipulation too. And we see that right out of the gate with the very first word, Genesis, Genesis, the origins of the genes and the genealogy and the generations and the genetics of mankind. The serpent found a way to manipulate the genetics right from the beginning. We see it play out again in Genesis 6 when the fallen angels desire the, the women. And we even see it again right after the flood in the nation of Babylon. We see it in Sodom and Gomorrah. There are multiple occurrences where the fallen angelic realm and Satan are trying to destroy the genetics of the Adamites. And this is exactly why in the Old Testament, God says over and over for them not to take those other pagan Nephilim nations as their wives because they would be corrupting the gene pool. And so moving forward, we're going to continue to look at this mandragora plant, the mandragon plant, because I think there's still a lot more occult symbolism that's left to be unveiled. And so on that note, Godspeed, and we'll see you on the next one.